You're listening to The Issues Podcast. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. This is an episode of The Issues Podcast with your hosts, Stephen Russ, Tom Brennan, and Martin Wickens. This is an interesting podcast topic. It's also very, um, it's a very important topic. We just had prayer a minute ago before we pushed the record button. And we want this to be a blessing to the appropriate people. Today, it's our heart to speak on the the overall topic of the differences in generations, the generation before us specifically. Uh, what are what are they owed to the generations from the generations that follow? What is it that my generation should be giving as far as honor and grace toward the generation before me? Now, Martin had a different idea for the title of this podcast. I think it was something like "Why Euthanasia is Not an Option" or something like that. Martin was not that, the only option. It, not the only, <laughs> but no, it's not not an option. Not an option. Yeah. You're learning. You're learning. Whatever we say is going to be judged, right? That's funny. You guys just um, like to throw me under the bus, but that's all right. I can take it. I mean, yeah. We yeah, found we a do. second use for you besides your accent. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just uh, so so touched. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, <laughs> well, we're I think, still looking. I think we already have several issues going on here, but we should. Yes. Yes, we an appropriately named podcast, if I do say so myself. So, with I guess with that, um, let's just start with maybe this idea of: Is there something that is owed to the generation before us? What is that? S- biblically speaking, uh, what does the Bible say that the generation? You know, we we always talk about respect your elders, or we say things like, uh, um, you know obey them that have the rule over you and, and, and those kind of things that are in the Bible, but how do they apply specifically to us today? And, and, uh, what do you guys think? Let's kick it off. Somebody give a hot take. I think it's, I think the subject is much bigger than just respect. Um, mm-hmm. I think if you, I think respect is an enormous part of it and that, that bleeds into everything else in the sense of how you view and how you function in your mind and your heart and your spirit toward the generations ahead of you, but it's not just respect. When you look at the Word of God, there's a lot of different things, I think, that the Bible says that that we are, Paul said, I'm a debtor, and that's a different context, but in the sense that we are indebted to the generation before us. Um, respect is mm-hmm. a part of that. It's only part of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would say, I mean, I was looking at Leviticus 19.32 earlier this morning, and it describes um, the the presumed respect that you ought to have for those who are older than you. It says that thou shalt rise up before the hoary head and honor the face of the old man and fear thy God. And it particularly hit me that it ends with, I am the Lord. So you hmm. don't test the waters and say, okay, who is this old person? Do they deserve my respect? Do they deserve other things that we'll be talking about um, you know, later on in the podcast? The presumption is, God is God, and therefore, when an older person walks in the room, you stand up. You show them what is due them simply because of the nature of you know their age. Mm-hmm. And later on, they may earn further respect, or they may, you know, 
harm their reputation in your eyes, but the presumption is you show them respect. Yeah. And that's an interesting, okay, it's not interesting, it's powerful, uh, because that's directly from God to his people, and obviously it's something that we can take into account today. But there's so many different ways that you could approach this. I mean, you could approach this from the parent to the child approach. You could approach it familially, uh, family-wise. You could approach it um, ministerially. In other words, young preachers and older preachers. Um, or you could just approach it as a Christian. And yeah, I think, and I, yeah I, I like that last line, as a Christian. I was driving here this morning. We're, uh, um, we're recording on a Monday morning. I was driving to the church this morning, and I happened to get behind a senior uh, on the road as I was driving here. Dubuque has um, demographically more than the average percentage of seniors, so it's not uncommon. And they were driving like a senior, and um, I, I was having a very preacherly Monday morning. <laughs> and you know, I'm driving to church to record a podcast about how younger folks should view older folks. And you know, I'm growling <laughs> at this guy in front of me. You know, come on, man. You know, <laughs> it just exactly it, it, it how was, old was, was this driver? If they were never older mind. than you, yeah, well, I got yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, no, but I think tri- even that is kind of an important sure. point. Um, is there's always an older generation. I mean, we've got, you know, one of uh, one of the deacons here is he's he's a healthy way into his seventies, but then we've got men in the church who are in their mid nineties, and so you kind of look at one and think, okay, well they're of a you know an, an older age group, and then you look at the one who's twenty years beyond them, and so most of us up until maybe the last few years of our lives, we're always going to have a a previous generation mm-hmm. that we need to know what do we owe them and and right. what can we, you know, what can we do in in showing them the, the due respect? So the question then as a Christian, because I think that's where we start. Now, and this is going to, this applies very personally to me in the ministerial aspect as far as my own personal ministry where God has me pastoring and how all that happened. And maybe we can get into that a little, a little later. Um, but the Bible has a lot to say about the elder and the younger. It says in Proverbs twenty twenty nine, and it's just, it's really observational. It says the glory of young men is their strength and the beauty of old men is the gray head. And my understanding of that principle, and you correct me if I'm wrong, is that the gray head was a symbol of wisdom so that the beauty of the old man, um, is generally speaking the wisdom that he has amassed through life experience. Is that a correct take on that verse? Um, I would add to that. I think that's part of it. I think I think the idea of the beauty of holiness enters into that. Mm-hmm. Um, seniors are, don't generally compete for Mister America or you know Miss America competitions uh, because they're not considered classically beautiful. They're they're old, but what's beautiful about them is their life. Um, mm-hmm. And and I connect that in my mind with that phrase, the beauty of holiness. In the scripture, you and I, I think it we all of, have. Everyone listening to this has has seniors in their churches who are just beautifully precious, sweet mm-hmm. seniors who've lived mm-hmm. a lifetime walking with God. They're priceless. Yeah, yeah. I think there is. I mean, I, I mean, I said there is that automatic respect that is owed, but there are some who have made, I think, wiser choices through their lifetimes, and they have ended up mm-hmm. with more wisdom. Um, in Proverbs as well, in, in Proverbs sixteen thirty one, the hoary head is a crown of glory if it be found in the way of righteousness, which kind of ties yes. into what Tom just said about holiness being a, you know, an intrinsic part of the the importance of the the wisdom of the elderly. Yes, what does it say in Job? Great men are not always wise. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I don't remember mm-hmm. which one said that. That may not have even been 
the so right I, friend. I actually have that in my notes. <laughs> I think that was I think that was Elihu. Um, no, that's a different quote I have from Elihu. Elihu said, "I am young; you're very old. Wherefore, I was afraid, durst not show you my opinion." I said, "Days should speak, and multitude of years should teach wisdom." That probably precedes the quote you just made. Um, yeah, no, th- it was Elihu. Mm-hmm. It yeah. was him. I was so, I'm looking it up now. That's chapter thirty-two, I think. Um, yes. And the point I was going to make from the preceding portion of that statement that you referenced was the idea that one of the things that we owe the generation that precedes us is to listen more than we speak. Mm-hmm. Elihu, when he sat down there around that, around that, let's say it was a fire or whatever, and it's Job who's esteemed very highly, and it's Job's three friends who are probably his peers. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly, but probably his peers. And then along comes Elihu. He's obviously, the Bible tells us, younger than all of them. And he eventually did speak, and he spoke very strongly and from his heart and had some wisdom in what he had to say, but he listened for a long time first. And the the it's instinctive in younger generations to feel like I'm being throttled, I'm not being listened to, you know, I should have my chance to speak. Um, that's natural, it's human nature. But mm-hmm. the Bible shows us that one of the things we owe seniors, one of the things we owe the generations before us is to spend more time listening to them than we spend telling them what we think. I think that's mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that that enters into a bit of an experience that I had recently, and I had the privilege of, on a Saturday morning, making some visits with a man in our church who, 20 years in Christian education, 20 years on the mission field, and now he's a member of my church, and just a blessing, he and his wife both, and godly people, I mean, honestly. And I, I recalled sitting there thinking that I probably just needed to listen. And it, it wasn't that he was telling me to listen. It wasn't that he demanded that I listen. It's right. just that when he was talking, I kind of cycled through as a young man, I kind of cycled through a few different uh, mindsets. And I'm being over analytical right now, but I think it's to the benefit of this conversation. One of those mindsets was just basically this, you know, I wanted to have a conversation. Well, it's it's kind of harder to have conversation as a, as a young man with an older man who, who really doesn't understand some of the things that I'm dealing with as a young man in 2023. And I say that mm-hmm. because a pastor, um, 82 years old, Pastor John Paisley, my wife's home pastor, he made a statement to me just a few months ago. And he said, Stephen, he goes, it's harder to be a parent today than it was when I was your age. I went, well, mm-hmm. I've never heard someone admit that. He said, oh, it's harder to be a soul winner today than it was when I was your age. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he started going through this list. He's a very optimistic person. But he was making acknowledgement that we live in a different time. Mm-hmm. And so I think at first I tried to have this conversation with this gentleman and I realized I needed to ask questions and I needed to listen to his answers and not try to respond. Now, that wasn't him being some overlord of my thought in any way. It was just me realizing I'm going to get the most out of this time that we have together if I listen. Mm-hmm. So I, th- I think you're absolutely right. And that's a great, great example in Elihu there in the book of Job. Um, and it's even in that chapter where he that, says that, you know, he waited until Job had spoken. You know, so oh, he yeah. let Job speak, he let all these others speak, and when the time was appropriate, then he took his opportunity. And uh, that's, it, it is so, so needful. And I think we get very impetuous, like I mentioned, mentioned yesterday, as, you know, young people, and I think I'm in a transition point I'm not quite what I used to be, but I know I'm not where I'm going to be. Um, but How old are you, Martin? I am 42. I'll be 43 this year. Um, but I remember a time distinctively when I stopped and I found myself just looking at a rose 
and I was just looking at it and I'm, and the phrase came to mind, you know, stop and smell the roses. And I was like, wow, that's a time has come in my life where I'm stopping and I'm beginning to consider things more. And I think that's a, it's a necessary development. And I think the earlier mm-hmm. you can learn that, the better, but there's a time when you do need some zeal. You do need to be a little bit more impetuous and just, just go out there and do something and get something done. Um, but yeah, I, I think learning as early as possible to stop and listen and consider carefully before you even respond. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's a that's a vital life lesson to learn. One so, of the things that Mandy and I noticed is, and this is about 10 years ago when we were visiting Bible colleges, all of the students seemed so young. Like every time we went yeah. to visit, they just got younger and younger and younger. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember being in college very vividly. It's very vivid to me. It was a big part of my life. And, um, you know, it's feeling like, you know, I, I, I knew a lot of stuff, you know, just, just give me, put me in a direction, let me up there. Mm-hmm. And now I, lo- I sit there and I, I look at them and they're so young. And the point that I didn't understand then that I understand now is I've lived what they're living, but they haven't lived what I'm living. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so by virtue of that, I know things they don't know, not because I'm smarter, just because I've lived what they have and they haven't lived what I have. But now I have to turn and I have to point those binoculars in the other direction, you know, and I have to look at the generations before me. Mm-hmm. You know, I look at them and I, I get impatient or frustrated or, you know, and the idea is that they have lived where I'm at. But mm-hmm. I don't know what it's like to be 75. You know, I don't know mm-hmm. what it's like to carry those burdens, the accumulated weight of all those years. And mm-hmm. so I, I, I need to be to be very thoughtful of that in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> OK, so I'm the youngest guy on this on this podcast, and this is not me interviewing Martin and Tom. I just just want to clarify for all of our listeners that this is not an interview. How old are but, you? Um, I'm 34 years old at the time of this recording. Yeah, I'll be I'll be 35 um, March 27th. So, um, that no, something you said though, Tom is and Martin both is that at a certain point you do start to pause and consider. I think a little bit more naturally. And for me, the big thing that's that's hitting me not as a negative but as a motivator is that if I get 70 years, then I'm halfway done, and that's pretty profound. I mean, that, that's mm-hmm. that's like for a younger guy and, and I, I'm a millennial. Martin, I think technically, aren't you a millennial? I, I just scraped in, I think, just within months. <laughs> yeah. The, and who would have thought you would ever been grasping to hold that title? You know, everybody kind of <laughs> bashes the millennials and Martin's like, no, 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 I'm, I am one. I am. But <laughs> as a as a younger man, as a millennial, and, and as someone who has seen a lot in the church area, the, the ministry area. Um, I think now what I'm starting to do is I'm starting to look ahead and I'm starting to go, if I pastor till I'm 65 years old, I will have pastored, not been in ministry, but pastored for 40 years. And that's, that's going to be, you know, that, that, that doesn't look that old to me anymore. That doesn't, it just doesn't look the same. And then I remember going back to my alma mater and I sat down at a at a Bible conference there a few years ago, and uh, Pastor Treber sat down next to me for some reason. And he looked over me. He goes, "Hey, they're looking younger, aren't they?" The college choir was singing, you know. And I went, "Yes." <laughs> I mean, it just doesn't take that long. So let's just get into maybe some practical things about um, you know it's mindset. And as as a younger person, and we can talk about the perspective of the older as well. 
But as a younger person, what are some some things we can honor the older generation with as a whole? Now, you, we've already qualified that great men are not always wise. We've already qualified that, you know, the hoary head is is a good thing. The gray head is a good thing if it's found in the way of righteousness. So take that into consideration as we go through all of this. But one of the things that I think that we should give as a gift, as, a, as honor, uh, out of respect to the older generation, is we should give them patience. And the reason mm-hmm. for that is because those, those very people are the same age as those who gave us patience when we were in our infancy and adolescence. And so there comes a time when the roles reverse a little bit. Uh, I wanted to ask you guys about this. Elihu, it says his anger, uh, the wrath of Elihu was kindled against Job because he justified himself rather than God. Do you think that Elihu was justified in his anger? Um, I'm not sure that I could answer that question well. It's funny because I spent an enormous amount of time studying the book of Job in the past couple of years. Um and maybe I'm taking too narrow of a view of that. I, I do think that the the view of this, of the discussion we're having about the podcast is not just about Elihu and Job, but it's looking at that generationally. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. not wrong for younger people to be, um, to view something that the aged have done as seriously deficient or seriously wrong. The book of Ecclesiastes talks about the foolishness of an old king who refuses to be admonished which by implication says that there are times in which the older generation does need admonished. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to make this too personal, but there was, there's been one occasion in my life where I've sat down. I love my father incredibly, respect him enormously, um, pastor for 38 years. We have a great relationship, but there's one time in my life I sat down with him as an adult man, and I told him that there was an area of his life that was wrong. And I'm not going to get into that. It wasn't it, it, it not going to get into it any more than I just did, but it wasn't wrong for me to do that. I did it respectfully. I did it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he understands I honor him. He understands I love him. He understands the heart it comes from. For me not to tell him where I thought he was wrong would have been bad for him. Um, and so it's not necessarily wrong for Elhu to be angry with Job. Um, I think how you process, I think Elihu channeled that really well. He sat and listened first. When he began to speak, he deferred, you know, he referenced their wisdom, but then he brought up what his objection was. And, and I think they listened to him from what I can tell from the text, they listened to him sincerely because he had listened to them and he had shown his heart. And so I think it's how you approach something. It's not necessarily wrong to be angry with, with the generation before you, as long as you approach that as wisely and carefully and with a heart of love as you possibly can. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I was thinking about Samuel and Eli. You know, Eli had gone to a point in his life where he was no longer either hearing from the Lord or listening to the Lord. But Samuel was young and his heart was tender. And when the Lord spoke, you know, when he understood what his response should be, and Eli gave him good counsel, he said, Here am I, Lord. You know, I speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. Um, And so I think, you know, the talking about what the younger generation owes the older, you know, we might say that the younger generation owes, you know, gracious, mm-hmm. polite confrontation, because sometimes as older generations, we need that. Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a oh, father. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's exactly. the verse. Exactly. That's the principle. And that has factored in so many times 
for my own life. Because if you realize that you you just can't handle older people, that sounds disrespectful to put it that way, elderly people, I don't know, uh, people of the of the generation before you in a way like you would handle your peers. You just right. can't treat right. them like that. And I think that's biblically founded. So you've had a lot of, and I don't want to throw this into just your personal experience because the authority mm-hmm. is the word of God, but you have had a lot of personal experience in this by virtue of taking over, you know, as the pastor of a of a church that your grandfather started and he's still there, your parents are there, your children are there, you mm-hmm. know, so it's not necessarily just a ministry question, although it has a ministry aspect to it. You have navigated a lot of those intergenerational mm-hmm. I don't know, I don't want to say conflicts, but situations. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you can you speak to that? Can you, you know? Yes. Well, in- interestingly enough, when I walked in the office, um, I, I always put a little sign on my door. Tom, you should consider this. That says, recording in process, do not enter. <laughs> <laughs> um, and hey, Everybody's and, a comedian. Yeah, we are. Uh, but when I walked in here, I, I was standing in the lobby of our church office area with my grandfather and my dad. And my grandfather is the founder of our church. He started our church in 1972. Uh, in 1979, he started Faith Music Missions. My dad came back from Bible college, the same Bible college you attended, Tom, uh, just before you. Came back in the late 80s. Um, I was born in 88. He came back uh, uh, just before that and started working in the ministry here and has worked in the ministry ever since. So I've got a uh, a grandfather who has been in Evansville pastoring here or with the title of pastor or, or founding pastor for 51 years this March and a dad who's been here since about 1986 and he's been in ministry here. Um, when God, and this isn't a podcast about ministry transitions, but pastoral transitions, but it's certainly something that we could touch on soon. Um, when God began to lead our church through this ministry transition, then it was done in a way here that was unconventional. And my grandfather had determined it was time for him to retire. He was 72 years at the time. And and of course, he would hate that he listens to this. So I'm probably going to hear about using the word retire. Um, I probably shouldn't have said that. Mm, he says, yeah. I'm going to refire uh, and uh, yeah. or, or put four <laughs> new tires on and get the car going, you know. Uh, but anyway, he he decided it was time to make that change. And he said, I want to recommend that it be this way. And, and the church uh, honored that there was a vote. It was all done appropriately. Um, It was brought before the church in an appropriate manner, et cetera. And so, you know, I usually clarify that just for the sake of those who like to cry nepotism. And it's, um, it's important to me that people know that it was done right in the same strain of that. When, when that all took place, we did not follow the pattern of those who would say the founding pastor or the former pastor needs to probably leave and go somewhere and maybe he needs to preach out for a few months. Oh, that did not happen. Um, didn't happen at all. Not only that, my father still pastors in the role of what we we have kind of put it into a title. It's executive pastor and that he continues to handle many of the administrative roles of the church that he did um, when he was even co-pastoring with my grandfather. And that's a long story there. All that to be said, all that being said, um, yes, we've navigated through that as a family. We've navigated through that generationally. So if you were to, if you were to look back, you've been pastor now eight years? Mm, like uh, yes, it'll be nine here in a few weeks. Right. So nine years. 
when you started as pastor, you were already an assistant or youth pastor there, but when you started as pastor and you're you're nine years younger than you are now, so in your mid-20s. 25. Maybe maybe throw st- something at us that, that you did right in the sense of approaching the, the generation before you, and maybe something now from your perspective of 10 years on that you think you did wrong or you should have done differently. The only thing that I did, the only things I did right were done because I was counseled in them. I had no natural ability to foresee these things. So I'm thankful for the counselors. That being said, one of the things that was done right was for me as the pastor, now I have the pulpit every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I am talking a lot as a 25, 26 year old young man. That's never good. The more we talk, the deeper the hole gets. Um, where I did do some things right is I was counseled by a retired pastor who was in evangelism, pastored a large church in Florida, and he actually admonished me to consider um, Adrian Rogers' situation. And he said, one of the things that you need to watch out for is what happened to Adrian Rogers. And I said, okay, what was that? I, I don't know. He said, well, he said, Adrian Rogers retired and stayed there and sat on the front or second row of that church. And he continued to be faithful. And every time the pastor would say something like, this church needs to be a church of prayer, it struck people differently because the man who had made that church a church of prayer was sitting on the first row. And what it sounded like was was that the pastor, yeah, it sounded like criticism and it wasn't. And he said, so what you have to do is you have to measure everything you say and you have to qualify it. And boy, that transformed my approach Hmm. To this day, to this day, my grandfather's 81. Um, he sits in our church auditorium every Sunday. He is my biggest cheerleader. He's saying, you, you know, every time, great sermon, son, good job. I mean, that's just, that's what he's going to say. He may say, hey, have you ever thought of this? But it's never critical. And so where I would have been probably prone to say, we need to be a church of prayer, I would say we need to be a church of prayer, just like we have been for the last 40 years and by God's grace will be for another 40 years and beyond. And it just that simple qualifier, I can talk fast, so it didn't, it didn't really make my sermons longer, but just that simple qualifier, it ensured against things. Now, you've heard the statement before, perception is reality, right? It, in, in a sense, it shouldn't be, but it is. And so you have to take that into consideration. And every time as a, as a young pastor that I spoke, I tried every time. I, I can't say I did it every time, but I tried to qualify so as to not seem or appear critical. And that was to my benefit because the happier he is, the bigger of a support he is in my congregation. And there are people in that congregation. I remember we, <laughs> I got a wonderful majority vote. I got a 97% vote. Two people voted no. And I, to this day, cannot be sure who they are, but my grandfather said, I think they're probably just a couple of old ladies in our church who don't want to see me retire. <laughs> and I thought, okay. And I think good. what you said, that whole kind of principle, it not just benefits the previous pastor, who in this case was, you know, family, but mm. the previous generation who've labored and given and served and and being there. Oh, that's a great point. You know, when a new pastor comes mm-hmm. in and they're full of zeal and, you know, like you said, you, you have to measure what you say because the whole church is only there because of what someone did before you. 
and mm-hmm. you know you want to take it to the next level maybe you want to continue it you want to increase um but i think you're you know it's wise what you're saying that you do it in such a way as to say this is what this church has always been and we want to continue that mm-hmm. we want to increase that and deepen it i want to circle back to the second part of that question I asked you originally, but let me build off what you just said, Martin. The Bible tells us that God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. Mm-hmm. And if we're going to be like God, we have to remember the work that people have done and respect that. And 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 I think that has a direct bearing on this conversation. So in, in phrasing things the way you phrased them, in reference specifically, Stephen, to your situation with your grandfather, you were showing respect for the work that he had done and the work that entire generation of people in that church had done. And mm-hmm. and I think that's a godly thing. That's a godlike. The word godly literally means like God. It's a godly thing to do to not forget the work and labor that preceding generations have done. I reference it all the time here. You know, we're, we're raising money for a, a building project here at our church. And, and, you know, I'll reference, you know, the generations before us, they sacrificed to give us what we have. We mm-hmm. need to be like them and sacrifice to give the next generation what they'll have. And, and it, it, it's that, and it needs to come from a heart that's genuine. And, and you know, Brother Russ, in your heart, it obviously is. But that sense of what our fathers have done, the Bible uses that phrase, our fathers or their fathers, hundred, I think 200 and I don't know, some odd times I looked it up. Um, the sense of not forgetting what our fathers have done and mm-hmm. respecting that and remembering that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I would say it's important to manage perception of how you're behaving toward that generation. So then the second part of that question I asked you was if you were to go back, you know, you, you've got 10 more years of experience, no gray hair yet that I can see, but it's oh, coming. Oh, he does. Um, well, I got a lot of gray hair. <laughs> <laughs> Next you, time we do a live, our okay. listeners can chime in and uh, what that's proportion right. of gray hair does. Anyway, that's kind of taken away from the moment. Sorry, Tom, you go ahead. But what would you what would you do differently? Maybe you didn't necessarily do it wrong, but what would you do differently? Yes. So on one hand, where I would encourage young men in ministry or among family or among the previous generation in general to manage the perception of how you treat the older generation, I would say on the other hand of where I probably stumbled quite a few times was you also have to manage your own spirit. And I just spoke to our church on the subject of disillusionment. And while on one hand, it has been easier because it was family in the sense that the transition was more seamless. Um, And I I guess that for me, it was easier. You know, Jesus is the one who said a prophet's not without honor, save in his own country. I'm just kind of amazed that I even get to pastor the church I grew up in because there are people here who know me. On On the other side of that coin is that there are. It's easy to look at the shortcomings, um, or or focus on maybe some of the not mistakes, but deficiencies. Is that the right word? And again, I, my grandfather may listen to this, and I, I want to be respectful. But humanity, their humanity. Hum, yes, yeah. You you can't overly focus on the humanity, or and in doing so, you have to manage your own spirit. Now, that's where I say that on the one side, it was easier because it was family. On the other side, it may have been harder because it was family, because there is so much transparency among family. I mean, we know, we see it all. So with that, you have to understand that there are obvious, there are going to be obvious deficiencies that are generational. There are going to be obvious deficiencies that are specific to the individual. 
And you're going to have to refuse to allow that to damage your spirit. Do you think your interactions with your father and grandfather in a ministerial sense, you would have probably translated that to any older person that you were transitioning into their, their position because your family had taught you to be respectful. You were used to being around, you know, parents and grandparents and perhaps even, you know, in early years, great grandparents. Um, And so you, you know, it was an advantage in many ways to working with family, but I think when you take that, you can translate that into any interaction. Um, Mm -hmm. And I guess where I'm going with that is thinking, you know, we live in like a hyper segregated society where a lot of young people aren't given the opportunity to be around old people. They're they're nurtured by their peer group rather than older generations. Yeah, I think that's one of the great benefits of growing up in a healthy church environment where Mm -hmm. um, you have... You know, as a child, I, I grew up in church from the time I can ever remember. And of course, there's always seniors in church, always have been, always will be. And you, you, you are with them in some sense several times a week. You know, you know, as a kid, I can remember doing services at the local nursing homes, things like that. Um, and and it was intentional, I think, on my parents' part. But we were around seniors and were taught not just you know be quiet and don't run, you know, those kind of basic things but how to view them as individuals. My parents would never let us call them by their first name, stuff like that, Yeah, you know, which is mm, maybe yes. generationally identifying, but um, it's that sort yep. of mindset. We we just did something here recently with our third born. He's our five-year-old son. And we have a children's choir that that is, they practice during the choir practice for the adults. So it's, it's real convenient, works out. And they sing about once a month, once every six weeks. And everybody loves it. It's, it's not intended. It's very it's done very well, but it's not intended to be perfect. Um, and people get a kick. I mean, all the cell phones come out and I don't even try to stop it anymore. They absolutely get a kick yeah. out of videoing that. And, and I love it. I mean, it's great promotion as well. But my son, Jude, who is five at the time of this recording and probably still will be when it's aired, he, um, he is active and he is, I mean, he gets up there in front of everybody and uh, two, two times ago that they sang, I'm looking at him. I'm sitting on the front row because I always go down so I can see it. And I'm looking and I go, what is he doing? And I promise you, this is not a lie. I have the video proof. He was trying to burp <laughs> and he was right in front of the microphone. I saw that. And as, <laughs> and as soon as, I mean, right before the song kicked off, he let out a belch so loud and i was just like are you kidding me now in the end everybody's like your son is so cute if, to, you know if there's any of my kids that are loved in our church it's jude they love him he's just such a rascal people get a kicked out of kick out of him i have people tell me every week they love him well last night they were singing and i said um beforehand i, I pulled jude to the side and i said hey jude i want you to work on something I said, when you get up there, I want you to smile real big and I want you to sing real loud, but I don't want you jumping around. I don't want you being silly because we're in church. And I I got caught doing that by a couple of people and they gave me a hard time. You know, they said, oh, come on. He's so cute. And, and I told my <laughs> wife later, I said, yeah, it is cute. And there are going to be a lot of great memories that come out of this. But at a certain point, me teaching my son how to behave appropriately in public or in church is more important than the kick that everybody gets out of watching him misbehave. So while mm-hmm. it's cute, we still we still have to teach our kids. I mean, my kids run in church, but every time I see them running in church, I make them stop. 
my kids are silly and they fight and they got all these other little problems that all the other kids have. That's one of the things that I would say. I think we were raised to believe that we were just like all the other kids when in mm-hmm. actuality we were being held to a higher standard. I would go to these pastor's kids luncheons at youth conferences, you know, have all the pastor's kids and ministry kids come to the, come to the lunch over here. And we know you have it so hard. And I'm like, really, really? I didn't know that. So my parents did a really good job. I hope they listen to this too, because I expect to be at the very top of the will when all of this comes out. But yeah, my, my kids, parents really a few years did. ago, they came to me and said, we didn't even know we were preacher's kids. Like they had never heard that <laughs> terminology and they knew that I was a preacher or a pastor, but they never knew that preacher's kids was a category. And I'm, I'm really glad right. for that. Um, and the church here, it's similar. I mean, they, the church here love my children so much. I mean, it's yeah one of the really beautiful things about being a part of this church family um, is how they treat my children. Uh, so that's that's definitely a good thing. Well, I I, I really like both your answers. Um, one of the things that I think is biblical is in this whole discussion in, in how the younger generation should view the older generation is I think we should view them or I think we should attempt to be a conduit between them and the generation behind us. Mm-hmm. You know, Paul says to Timothy, the things thou hast learned and heard and received, and I'm misquoting it. I'm, I'm going to give you some paraphrase, right? This, what you've heard from me, give to the next generation. And so uh, in your church context, of course, that's the church context, but you are doing that actively and your church will see you. You learned this from your grandfather and learned this from your parents, and you're passing that on to, the, to your generation and to the generation behind you. I think that really helps to connect generations rather than isolate them. And one of you just said, it, I don't remember who, that we're, we're more and more isolated. Some of that social media, some of that is, is church is so divided up by age. Um, but as we get more and more isolated, that sense of, of connectivity is lost. There's so much that my dad taught and said and did that has, will die with him if I don't pass it on to the next generation. And I think I have a biblical responsibility to do that. And I think, I think Stephen, you, you have that sense. And Martin, I think you do too, in reference to that missionary you often speak of that was so influential in your life. Yeah, Tom Dodson. Yeah, it's uh, incredible how much I never realized. Um, you know, he, yeah, it's just incredible, man. I thank the Lord for him. That's how I think you yeah. had some other things you were talking about in terms of what we owe the previous generation. Um, you know, we owe them respect. We owe them to, to listen to them. There's a debt that we have to, to pay attention to the wisdom that they have. Um, what other debts, what other things do you, did you come well, up I with? I had, in my, in my preparation for this, as I was thinking through it the other day, I came up with nine things, but I've crossed off most of them in our conversation. Um <laughs> <laughs> because they've come up in the course of a conversation. And and we, I mean, let's just be frank here. We want this to sound like a conversation. And to do that, it actually is a conversation. Right. Um, so, you know, we're not lecturing people. We're actually having a conversation. But one of the things I think we haven't touched on yet is this sense of serving the next generation. You see this mm-hmm. pattern in scripture very clearly, right? So it's Elisha to Elijah. It's Joshua to Moses. It's Timothy to Paul. It's, it's, um, you see it all over the Word of God, and I'm not at the age where this is a big part of my life because I'm at the age where it's almost starting to shift. Um, I'll be since we're all confessing our ages. I'll be 50 this year, 
so it's not really that I'm partnering up with somebody and and serving them. But I did an enormous amount of that when I was younger, uh, an enormous amount. My, my, when my dad, the day my dad dropped me off to go to college is one of the oh, only two times in my whole life I've ever seen him cry. Mm. And he said to me, he said, I feel like I'm losing my right arm. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand that then. I do now. <laughs> and, you know, I, 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 I sought to serve him. When I was in college, the man I worked with, I sought to serve him. He was a generation older than me. I sought to serve him. Um, and, and I think there's, there's, it's not just that we ought to listen and not just we ought to respect, but that sense of, of the Bible says that Elisha, what's the phrase? He poured water on the hands of Elijah. It's that sense mm-hmm. of, of how can I minister to you? It's that spirit, not just the actions, but the spirit. Um, that's the spirit that drives yes. drives people to care for their elderly neighbors. Yes. And I think that's a wonderful thing. It's, it, it's that spirit that drives our society to care for the aged as a group, which is an indication we've not yet become paganistic. Pagan, paganism doesn't care about human life. Christianity does. And there's mm-hmm. that residual impact in our society. We still care for the aged, of serving them, of helping them. Let let me, hmm. let me ask this at the risk of just absolutely sabotaging this conversation, but I think it needs, I actually think it fits very well. So don't, don't get too nervous guys. Um, what do you do as a younger man in a situation where you are legitimately wronged by someone who's older to the degree of, let's just use a, a scenario that I see played out all the time. Older pastor, maybe in his late 70s, calls a young man, come work for me for a year. I'll give you the church because, you know, I'm, I'm getting tired and I need, to, I need to hang it up. Well, the older pastor, he gets, he gets his second win because that guy just took a load off of him. And <laughs> it's now three years later and there's still no talk of transition or... Um, you're, you're looking at him going, Hey, you know, what about when you said this? And he goes, I never said that. And all of a sudden you have been morally wounded. I mean, there is a, there is a moral scar because you did everything that you could to try to honor, to try to preserve a relationship, to try to work together. And now everything that you've invested seems to be discarded because of selfishness. What do you do? I don't know. Yeah. I've counseled men in that situation or maybe mm-hmm. listened to men in that situation. I've never been in that situation. Man, usually I have something mm-hmm. comes to my head immediately. In those situations, I listen to those younger men and growl at those seniors. <laughs> well, you know, in my, in my heart, because it's just foolishness. It's an old and foolish yeah. king is what it is. Yes. Um, Okay, so let me let me throw this at you, and and I'm sure Martin, while I'm talking, will come up with something even better than this. Um, <laughs> one of the things I think you have to do is you have to remember that God is a just God, mm-hmm. and not in the sense of that this senior pastor will get punished because of his mistreatment of you, but the sense in which God doesn't. <laughs> if you follow Him and you obey Him, and it seems to go badly. God will make it come out wonderfully. I think of David and Saul. Yes. So yes. here's here's a, a, someone of the generation before him who became very threatened by David, became very insecure. You know, David's trying to conduct himself. You see it all of his life with respect to that preceding generation, to the position of king. But he doesn't, for all that he vocalizes in the book of Psalms, 
He takes his sorrow to the Lord. You know, he doesn't take it to the newspaper. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't publish a book about it. He doesn't seek mm-hmm. to, to, to split the church. We're talking about a church context. He doesn't seek to split the church and take a group off with him. He lets the Lord fight for him. Yes. Mm-hmm. And he keeps serving the Lord. And the Lord makes it all come out wonderfully because for thousands of years now, people have commended David and criticized Saul. And God made David come out looking really well in this situation because he should have. And I think I think you have to go back to saying the Lord will, the Lord will requite me in in a positive sense. He'll take care of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought of this by the way earlier, but then you br- you brought it up, and now I think I'm even thinking more clearly on it. You mentioned Solomon's statement in Ecclesiastes about the old and foolish king, right? But then Solomon's father had this mentality that he that he he said this. He said, "I will not raise my hand against the Lord's anointed." And what really helped me when you said that earlier is that the whole book of Ecclesiastes kind of set off by that chapter three, where it talks about there's a time for everything. Mm-hmm. And there may be a time where you raise, you don't raise your hand against the Lord's anointed. And I don't know if there's ever a time that you do, but there may also be a time where you have to deal with something as you talked about, Tom, where you sit down with an elder and then treat him as a father. And we try to work this out. Otherwise there's going to be a separation. That's not the exact situation you describe by any means. But what I see a lot of in younger men who are serving the Lord is this kind of universal condemnation of the older generation because of a poor experience like that, where someone who they loved and respected, I mean, someone that maybe had mentored them for for a decade, then decides to pull that that kind of foolishness (laughs) where they don't follow through on their word on something and to the detriment of that young man. And it blows relationships up all the time, but you can't let that become this universal condemnation of everybody who's out there. Because if you do, you are truly disillusioned. Yeah. And I think that kind of touches on an important point that you need to see it from their perspective as well. And it's not to justify someone who said they would do one thing and they did something else, but recognize the difficult position they're in. I think there's a a unique position mm-hmm. of an older generation at the moment who never anticipated living as long as they have. And yep. The pastors before them counseled them, yeah. keep yep. going, yep. die in the pulpit. And die. all of a sudden, they're or, looking at 20 years living outside of the pulpit, and they're like, well, yep. I never planned for this. And so it doesn't yep. justify it, and it may not help resolve it, but in your own spirit, it may give you a little bit yes. of grace towards them. That's insecurity. And for me, what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to identify that for the sake of help, helping that man or helping me navigate mm-hmm. my own spirit. And this. finding something and, for them to do to remain useful and have oh a purpose. And that's not easy, but it's important. The other mm-hmm. aspect of that is that some of these guys, and this is for a different podcast, but some of these guys got to the end of their journey or the end of their 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 prime, if you will, with no financial plan for retirement or no mm-hmm. no vision for what's next. Um, it, you know, those kind of things happen, and and insecurity, it, it it's <laughs> it's a big problem that I'm looking at right now going, okay, Lord, help me. W- one of the things that helped me the most when I heard this, Brother Arby Willette was, he was a pastor for many years up in Michigan and, and you, you men know who he is. And he said that when he retired, he had a conversation with someone who said, aren't you nervous about this? Doesn't this make you feel um, empty inside knowing you're leaving your church? And he said, why? Well, I, I guess I never thought it was mine. Hmm. And that that's a mindset. That's all it is. 
That's just a thought process that we lock in that what you said, Tom, basically God is sovereign in spite of the fact that man is sinful Mm -hmm. and focus on that and build your life on that and put yourself in a position to not be overly disappointed. Disappointment will come and you will be let down, whether it's by your generation, the previous generation or the one that follows you. It doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's all over the place. But you, you've got to put your faith so much in God that you don't idolize that older generation to the degree where you think they can't do anything wrong. One of the things I really tried to do when I wrote Schizophrenic was not just simply throw the previous generation under the bus. Because I was, in a sense, saying the generation that preceded me has done all of this stuff wrong. Mm-hmm. So I tried to balance it with they've done all of this stuff right. Um if you never if you never allow yourself to get illusioned, you'll never get disillusioned. If you never put there them on go. a pedestal, you won't ever mm-hmm. have to tear them down off that pedestal. And I saw my yep. generation make that mistake. My college generation make that mistake. They put mm-hmm. men on a pedestal and then they were devastated when they discovered those that the humanity, the sinfulness, the the mistakes of those men. Um, I guess that's something else that we owe the previous generation is let them be human. Yeah. yeah. Let them that's realistic let them expectations. Fail. Yeah. That's that's said, yeah. that's said so well. That just that's just said so well. Martin, you actually, uh, and I'm going to plug your blog because I think you're a really good writer. Um, MartinWickens.com is there's a blog on there about this, isn't there? And uh, I'm asking like I don't know. There's a, it's pulled <laughs> up right here. Uh, I have it in front of me. And one of the things that you say in that blog post is realize the battles they fought are different than ours. Mm. I love that statement. Now they may still be fighting those battles. And that's mm-hmm. an acknowledgement, okay? But they did fight different battles. And the battles they fought probably were to our benefit because we don't have to mm-hmm. in many cases. Ours are different. Yeah. Ours are different. And that's true. And maybe but you have we to don't realize they fought their battles, battles. Because they fought those right. battles and won. You know, it was, <laughs> yeah. you know, we don't fight it. We don't relate it because they, they put the enemy on the back foot so much that you know, we don't have to fight that same thing. And, and we sit here and think, well, that's that's not a problem. That's not an issue mm-hmm. because they dealt with it. And, you know, there's, um, i trying to frame it in my mind, but I know one of the reasons when the spies came back from having spied out the land, they said, you know, in, in as many words, we can't go in for the kids. It's so dangerous. There's giants in the land and for the kids. But then what happened is, that generation kids died and the kids had to grow up and the kids they were going to protect from the fight had to do the fighting for them. And so if you've got a generation who fought the battles and won and maybe are still fighting them rightly or wrongly, mm-hmm. give them the credit they're due and be understanding of it. One of the biggest things that I see the older generation being offended over is when the younger generation who wasn't there pick apart the way they fought their battles. Mm. That and that's where you see guys who are older get so offended, and I'm not saying rightfully so because we we really should guard against being offended, you know. But I understand that mm-hmm. because here's the way I this is the way I've said it before, and this is the way I look at it. Every generation has a generational blind spot or two, or maybe more. Oh yeah, I agree. And and so does ours. I agree. So does mine. The issue becomes how we criticize the former generation's blind spot without being able to totally identify our own. And we're going to reap what we sow. Mm-hmm. 
That's yes, a that's a big restrainer for me. That that gives me pause. So that well, I don't go Jesus full said, fledged. The Sermon on the Mount, judge not that ye be not judged for with what judgment ye judge, ye yes. shall be judged. Mm-hmm. The manner, the the you talked about cultivating the right spirit. The 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 manner in which we approach the generation before us in our heart, in our mind, is it, we will reap what we sow. Yes. And I think Absolutely. there's an aspect of this segregated society whereby a lot of the younger generation, they don't know the people they're criticizing. Um, their they're characters on the front of a book, their voices on the radio. And so there's no repercussions. There, there's no mm-hmm. genuine relationship. And so it's easy to look at a distance and say, oh, man, they did it so wrong. When, like you're saying, uh, Stephen, it's you've got to understand um, and give them give them grace. Yeah, that sounds like my Twitter feed. Oh, my soul. <laughs> these young preachers, I quote these older preachers, and these young preachers are just all riled up. But I'm like, you just don't know what you're talking about. You, you brought that up at the end of this podcast so that we couldn't get into you, it. You sneaky old not. man. Anyway, sneaky sign back in man. next week to hey, receive the, the older generation of that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, because of that, Tom, you've been elected to close out this podcast with a summary <laughs> of the issues. Go How ahead. would you like us to treat you from this point going forward? <laughs> Here we go. Can't wait to hear what he has to say. Beloved, the question before us is not whether we have a responsibility to the generation before us, but rather what those responsibilities include. And the scripture models such responsibilities from one end to the other. Interpersonal relationships are often intergenerational ones, and there are examples in the Word of those that are done right and those that are done poorly. We learn many things from these scriptural examples, such as the necessity of serving the previous generation as Joshua did for Moses or Elisha for Elijah. We see in Elihu's perspective in Job the necessity of listening more than we speak. But we also learn from clear commands as well. Honor the face of the old man, requite the parents. And in addition to these, we learn from biblical principles drawn from scriptural statements. An old king is a foolish king. If he will not be admonished, there must then be a responsibility for the younger generation to lovingly, respectfully speak unpleasant truths to the older generation. There's so much sheer living in this discussion. We have parents and or children. We have elderly neighbors. We have senior saints in our churches. We interact with them. We live with them on a daily basis. And we will reap what we sow. In the final analysis, however, our goal is not just to view them right and treat them well, but as in all things, to be like God. Christ is both the example and the goal here. His actions as a child, surrounded by imperfect adults, his treatment of his mother Mary, his relationship with his father. As much as possible, then, let us seek in this to be like Christ, too. And in the process, may our Lord be pleased. And may the generation before us be treated with all the grace and patience and goodness of our Savior himself. Respectfully, Tom Brennan, Martin Wickens, and Stephen Russell.